When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily. Premier League update. This is Football Social Daily. Daily Premier League news, updates, opinion and everything else from the Sports Social in podcast form. Thanks very much for coming to see us. I'm Jim Salverson. Today in the studio we have Marley Anderson here. Hello. I'm going to turn your microphone on. Try that again. Hello. And is my got, mic on? That's, Am I on? Can you hear me? I'm just going to edit that bit out. Oh. So you don't look like an idiot. Now I'm going to leave it in. So you yeah, leave it like in. Yeah, leave it in. Uh, Fergal Brennan over there as well. Hello, my mic is on, I think. I hope. Correct. Right, we're going to kick off with a little review and a bit of trivia as well. So if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, you'll get a shout out on the show, particularly if you're going to be interesting with your review, like Ruben was here is. So he says, five-star review, by the way, he says, love the banter, and then he has a question. So it says, do you know the two players to score a Premier League, La Liga and Syria hat-trick? Yeah. So I'm going to let you have a think about this one. I think one of them is really obvious, but the other one is slightly less obvious. You're confident you know, Marley. Yeah, because it's been going out. Every bloody account on Twitter has tweeted right. it this week, so I've seen the answers. And Marley is Twitter, so <laughs> <laughs> he knows the answer to that. We'll come back to it in a little bit. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can have a think. We'll get you the answer in about 25 minutes or so. So today on the podcast, we're talking Harry Kane is out for the season. What does that mean for Tottenham? What does it mean for Jose Mourinho? And what does it mean for England and the European Championships? It's the Street Weapon Derby later today as the Blades take on the Hammers in tonight's late <laughs> Premier League kickoff. We're going to have a full preview <laughs> 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 ahead of that game as That's well. That's brilliant. That's the best Derby name ever. <laughs> and we're going to have a quick look over some of the juiciest transfer rumours in today's press. <laughs> Plus, if you're lagging behind in your fancy football re- league right now, worry not because the Guru's going to be here at the end of the podcast with some advice that may help you catch the league leaders. But first, Harry Kane. It's time for his biannual injury and he's out till April. He needs an operation on a hamstring and it is classic Harry Kane, isn't it? But is it a disaster for Spurs losing him for pretty much the rest of the Premier League season? Yeah, it could be. Um, You know, when they, they let Lorente go in the summer, didn't they? And everyone looked at their squad and said, oh, what if... He gets an injury because yeah. he, he gets he gets at least one or mostly mostly two every year. It's usually his ankle because somebody snaps him in the box when he's trying to shoot. Mm. But this time it's a hamstring and it's that's worse than an ankle because in, in, if an ankle's like eighty percent, you can strap it up and get through painkillers and you'll be all right. But if your hamstring, if you try and sprint with a hamstring problem, it goes and then that's it. Three months gone. I mean, traditionally, so. Spurs have done all right when Harry Kane has had, as you say, his two injuries a year. And yeah. you look at that team. Eight weeks ago, I don't think it would have been a disaster losing Harry Kane because under Pochettino, Son does a good job. Mora yeah. could do a good job. With Mourinho at the helm at Spurs, losing Harry Kane looks like a disaster because neither Son or Mora can play in the way that Mourinho wants to play. No, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. And when you look at the the kind of attributes that those two players have got, it doesn't fit the mould of a Mourinho striker. Not just, obviously, Harry Kane, but you look at the, the forwards that he's had before, Chelsea, Real Madrid, he likes yeah. you know, someone like a, a Drogba figure or Benzema when he was at Real Madrid. Um, 
I think this is a real issue for Tottenham, but I almost think that in his own kind of Machiavellian way, Mourinho will be kind of pr- pleased because he constantly says that he wants money to spend in January. Mm-hmm. Daniel Levy, we know, is is pragmatic, shall we say, with his with his funding to, to managers. They have to give him money to spend now. Um, whether that will be a success or, or, or not, obviously he said we'll discuss a few of the names they've been linked with in a minute, but they need someone purely and simply. And I think, as Marley said, a lot of people kind of laughed the whole thing of Lorente leaving in the summer but he was valuable to have in the squad even if it was only a handful of games here and there but I think in a very sick way almost uh, Mourinho will be kind of thinking great now he has to give me money he there's loves no way around excuse as well doesn't he Jose yeah. Mourinho he loves an excuse and, and there's a big one excuse. that's a big excuse so do you think he's going to delve into the transfer market because there's two options here one he changes the way he has played football at every single club he has ever managed or two he goes and buys someone to replace Harry Kane. Well, one thing we know about Mourinho is that he's definitely the type of character that will change his ways. Uh, He's very open-minded. Of course he's not open-minded. Of course he's going to be demanding money. (laughs) Uh, The issue is going to be who he buys. January is traditionally a a minefield for buying players, particularly strikers. Uh, You're you're paying a bit of a premium. There's going to be an additional Harry Kane hamstring premium Mm. being added on to whoever they're going to go for now. Um, whoever they get in, it needs to be a smart move. But given the the kind of dynamics of the January window, they're going to have to buy someone, not on a short-term deal, they're going to have to buy an actual striker on a two, three-year deal. And, that and who's will... going to want to do that? As a striker going into Spurs, you know you're going to be playing until April and then Harry Kane's going to come back yeah. and mm. that's it, you're done. Who's going to want to take that job? Anyone who is of the quality that Spurs would need surely isn't going to want to want to go into Spurs and do that role on a temporary basis. Well, I seen a, a name linked uh, in the last couple of days, um, and it made kind of sense. Danny Ings from Southampton, obviously, he's banging him in. Mm. He's had a, he's had one crack at a big club like Liverpool. It didn't quite work out. He had a few injuries there, and he he himself has a history of sort of injuries derailing his seasons. Um, but he's, I think he's the second top scorer in the Premier League at the minute, joint with um, with Aubameyang. He's got 13 or 12 or 13. Um, and I don't think it'd take much to tempt him away from Southampton to, to Spurs because Spurs play that many games. You know, they've got the Champions League and everything as well as coming on for the last 20 minutes or something. Yeah. Whatever he gets uh, with uh, under Mourinho. I just think there is a, a sort of... Um, a pull there from from Spurs, and I don't think it'd take that much for him to to bin off Southampton. Really, is he good enough to do that job? I think he is. Spurs? I think he is. Like as a, obviously as a standing, obviously he's not as good as Carrie Kane, obviously. But I just think as backups go, with Ing- Ings has proved he's got thirteen goals in a Southampton team that are struggling at the bottom of the league. Like that's hard. Mm. It's hard. I, they, they play decent football as well, Southampton. It's not like they're just humping it up to him and hoping he scores a worldie like they actually do play alright football so it hasn't quite worked for them this season but yeah I don't know I just think I just think that fits actually a move to Spurs for him as well if he could perform well between now and April could put him on England's radar maybe with the Euros round the corner other names I've seen mentioned Fergal Oliver Giroud and Batshuayi as well, who they seem to be they linked, get linked with, to every yeah, club, any club that <laughs> needs a striker. Club. Those guys will go. Uh, Giroud makes a little bit of sense for me. He does in terms of the things that you've just said of a certain level of a guaranteed quality and somebody that will be happy 
play in a backup role when, when Kane obviously gets fit again. And I always use Giroud as an example because he gives that level of quality and given his age, given his contract situation, he probably will be happy at that. But we had the same conversation about Giroud when he left Arsenal about would he be happy in this kind of support role? Obviously it was Morata then and, and now it's mm-hmm. Tammy Abraham. And one thing that we've, we've seen is that he's not happy with that. Um, you can see his point. I think Frank Lampard is really underused in this season, but given Abraham's form, um, in terms of a move to... Tottenham, like, is he going to do full William Gallas and play for everybody? <laughs> I was just West Ham, be- West Ham before he packs in, maybe. I just, I'd have him. Uh, yeah, well, well, I just don't know whether Tottenham would in terms of again how they play. Kane, there's a lot of made out about obviously his goals, but Kane's a very athletic player, holds the ball up really well, mm. occupies defenders. He, he moves Tottenham up the pitch much quicker than someone like Giroud would. And again, it'd be a stopgap. And I think. The type of chairman that Daniel Levy is, he's not really interested in stop gaps. Mm. If he's spending any money, whether it's a pound or a million pound, he likes to know that it's a, a strong investment, even though that rose against Mourinho's uh, kind of mentality. You might almost say that maybe the two of them could have done a little bit more research on each other before they decided to, you know, <laughs> hop into the proverbial bed together. But, you know, listen to this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we talk a lot about Harry Kane's future and where it lies beyond Tottenham and Every season, every window, people are saying, oh, he's going to get fed up with sticking around at Tottenham because he's not winning trophies. Eventually, he's going to get that move. Do you think a club like Real Madrid would look at Harry Kane now and these regular injury issues he has and these breaks, as you say, Marley, you lose mm. him for two times every season and not be willing to take that chance, not be willing to put their hands in their pockets and go, all right, Daniel, here's 150 million quid. We'll take Harry off your hands. Or is he that good that it kind of wait? It, you, you take the risk because of that, because he does. Even though he's only he's out for two periods, he's still scoring stupid amounts of goals. I don't think that'd necessarily put them off because every every player gets injuries. You can't guarantee he's gonna get not as regular. You can guarantee it. Was well, pain, can, that's the problem, isn't you, it? <laughs> you can, and yeah, I know what you mean, but you can. I don't think you can look at injuries like that. Then they're, they're not normally muscle injuries. Like this is the first sort of one that's put him out for a while muscular wise like I said before it's usually like a contact thing on the ankle when he gets snapped in the box or something like that um, the only thing with Real like if, if, you, if you're looking at who's going to buy him if anyone I can see him just staying in England I can't see him going abroad I just don't think it's uh, something that would interest him like if you look at the amount of English players that have gone to Real Madrid and just get absolutely they just get tossed by the wayside they don't get mm. they're not appreciated mm. at all like you know, look at Bill. Bill's getting treated as bad as any footballer on the planet by his fans <laughs> right now. And, well, with the exception of the racist ones in Italy. But, um, <laughs> you know, everybody hates Bill and he's done absolutely nothing wrong. He scored a bloody worldy bicycle kick in the Champions League final two years ago and practically won you the thing against Liverpool. And they still hate him because like, he plays a bit of golf in his spare time. So <laughs> every footballer does that. Like, every footballer plays golf. It's a non-contact, relaxing sport. So why not? what's wrong with it? I just don't think Kane would... I think he'd look at the whole thing and think, that's kind of not for me. Mm. Like, if any... Let's say, let's assume Pochettino goes to Man United. Could he actually be a one-club man then? He could be, yeah. He's from He's from the area. He's got He's got a family. He's got. Uh, he's just got married, hasn't he? He's got a kid. Mm. Why uproot everyone and go, go to flipping Spain and then spend three years there on a ton of money? Fair enough. That's not too bad. Go yeah. to Spain. Don't spend, don't spend that bad. Poor old Harry. You're talking him into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't see it. I think if if Pochettino went to Man United and then Man United were prepared to spend money on a big striker, they would they would go for him, and he might be interested. Mm. 
I, I can't see him going to another club in England. I just can't see it happening. So the one positive here for Harry Kane's injury is for England. He'll be back in training in April. That's two months before the Euros kick off. That's pretty good timing as far as Gareth Southgate is concerned. I mean, whisper it quietly, but football's coming home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big positive, isn't it? Having a striker of the quality of Kane going into the Euros with a couple of months training, maybe a few games under his belt and feeling fresh, not having a whole season behind him. I think... England fans will be looking at this and, and getting their calendars out and going, right, so if he's back on this date, how long will he have X, Y and Z? Yeah. And I, I do think Jim has a bit of a point. He, he's coming back almost at the right point where we're not going to have a Beckham-Rooney scenario that England fans have had in previous tournaments of yeah. they're not fit, they haven't played enough. He should have, if all goes to plan, he should have just about enough football to be fresh enough to be right where he needs yeah. to be, right at the sweet spot for England in the summer. Um but that all depends on his recovery. I do think, as you said, the, the style of injury that it is will allow him to come back into football a little bit quicker. It's not an impact injury. It's not a broken bone or the dreaded mesotarsal. <laughs> um, so I think in terms of in terms of England, there'll be yeah there'll be a lot of non-Tottenham England fans like Jim going. Do you know what? This might actually be quite handy. Mm. Um, but it all depends on his recovery, and it all depends on him then getting back in the team and, and getting back up to speed. But there's a lot to be done between here and here and then. Right, let's move on to tonight's game. It's the game that everyone's talking about. It's the game of the season, etc., etc. It's what Friday Night Football was built for. Sheffield United versus West Ham United. Now, these are two teams with slight changes of fortune for both of them recently. Now, the Blades have lost their first two back-to-back games since the turn of the year, I think, certainly in the Premier League this season. West Ham are having a little bit of a mini resurgence under David Moyes. Two wins in two, even if they did come against Bournemouth and Gillingham, respectively, Gillingham in the FA Cup, obviously. Now, I think this game, more than anything, is going to be a test of exactly have West Ham made any developments since David Moyes took over, because... Bournemouth are probably the worst form team in the Premier League. Gillingham are Gillingham. This is a f- the first proper test for West Ham under David Moyes, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, is it? It's at West Ham, isn't it? No, tonight? it's no, Sheffield United. Oh, is it? Oh, that's tough then. 50-50 chance, Marley. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tough game. That uh, Bramall Lane's obviously cliche, uh, tough place to go. Where's the cliche bell? There it is. In the draw. Slightly late. Um... Yeah, but you know Sheffield United, um, they've had a little bit of a uh, poor spell, but they're the kind of I don't think their their performance I mean, hasn't call it a poor spell. Hasn't it been City and Liverpool? Yeah, they've lost two. Yeah. Uh, the two losses they've had in a row. Two losses kind of, are poor. <laughs> <it's>, by their <laughs> wow, standards, high standards that. But it says Chris Wilde has put United. these standards on me. <laughs> um, yeah, but they haven't played badly in them games. Um, which was the the point I was gonna mm. uh, like come on to? They haven't played badly in them games. They've just played good teams. So the fact that they they've still maintained a level of performance suggests that they're still consistent. They're still gonna be tough. They're still gonna be hard to beat. They're still gonna play in the normal way. It's not like Bournemouth where some like most weeks they're crap and then one week's the one week they're alright like and play really well. Mm. So it's it's much less of a problem to have a team that you know what you're gonna get out of them and then you know that they're gonna give you a certain level and you've got to match that level if you want to beat them. So that's what West Ham need to do tonight, but it's that managerial bounce versus one that's lasted all all season or the last three seasons if you if you go back all through Chris Wilder's uh, spell at Sheffield United mm. so 
it's a tough game that it's a, interesting to watch we still seem to be talking about Sheffield United as a bit of a surprise package in the Premier League which is a surprise for most people but not for the man in the studio Fergal Brennan who tipped them from the very start <laughs> to be battling with the big boys here's a little clip from Football Social Daily from right the way back before a ball was kicked <laughs> in the Premier League check out this for insight I've gone full circle on my relegation candidates and I'm going to go Sheffield United to finish top 10 what? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god now oh, out. nearly fell out my chair then is that, that straight for that is it's Chris Wilder's own brand the reason for this is very very simple I've been looking at this the last few days initially I thought relegation candidates but what I think they've done in the summer recruited smartly addressed certain positions and I just look at their team and I think they're way more capable of locking out games than Norwich and Villa have come up I firmly think Villa are going to do a bit of a Fulham crash and burn Norwich Daniel Fark is, is relying on the same players to keep them up that got them up I, I don't think that's going to work and I do think Chris Wilder's not this you know kind of tub thumping long ball merchant that people paint him out to be he's I a think, proper manager he yeah. plays three yeah. at the back he plays a good system yeah. I mean it is going to be they're going to die on the hill if they're yeah. going to go and down, I, they're going to go and down and I think badly. He, and I think he's yeah. willing, and I think he's willing to adapt, which I think a lot of other managers won't be. We'll, we'll see in the autumn managers getting sacked, whereas I think he's got enough about him to keep yeah. himself in the job and make changes if necessary. I mean, check that out for insight. Insight. <laughs> Have you got the lottery numbers for this weekend, Fergal? I see uh, when you when you compare Fergal to like someone like Danny Murphy, who just like <laughs> wings it every week. Do you think? Right, I was thinking about this earlier. Can we now say that Sheffield United are? all they're cracked up to be they're great in the sum of their parts yeah but they can perform in the Premier League or are we even making that call now halfway through their first season in the Premier League too early do we need to wait till the end of the season or maybe even halfway through next season to know whether they've got a Premier League future and whether Chris Wilder is a manager who can perform at this level yeah I, I would you know and despite the fact that I'm obviously an enormous Blades fan I would give it a little <laughs> bit longer uh, yeah they've been really impressive um they, they're having a little bit of a tough patch at the minute. I know, obviously, Marley and his high demands, uh, losing to the best two teams in the country. <laughs> um, but I, I still think there's there's other things that they, they do need to address. I've said it a few times, lack of goals. Uh, they've scored 23 and 21 in the league this season. Mm. Uh, only Norwich have scored less at this stage. And I think when you look at the way they play, there's a lot to be... There's a lot to like. There's a lot to be pleased about if you're Chris Wilder, but there's still that bit of a lack of cutting edge. And I think ultimately, at the end of this season, and as you say, partly through next season, that will decide where they are. If they if they were to, you know, follow my prediction and get top ten, or maybe even sneak into that last Europa spot, um, obviously there'll be a lot of praise for them, and rightly so. But the ability to stay in the division, consistently finish top ten, consistently be in that conversation, is something that you'll look at next year and probably the year after. You know, if you look at the almost a Burnley model or, or that type of thing. That's what they want to be aiming for. As, as much as people might not say that's the most fashionable way of looking at it, but Chris Wilder's a realist. You know, He knows mm. that that's what his job, that's what the team depends on remaining in the Premier League. And I think they've got the skills to do that. They've, de- they've demonstrated that, but let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. They, they've, they've been really good to watch, but I still think that the lack of goals will be an issue for them at some stage this season. They've got a tough run coming up. They've got to play Arsenal. The way the fixtures, the fixture calendar works, they've got to play City again. They'll probably be Arsenal 10-0. Well, no, hold on. The Arteta revolution, sorry. Um, So, yeah, there's still a few questions to answer. I'm just concerned that when they finish 11th on goal difference, Niall's going to be on the phone saying how I was so, so wrong. When it's goals scored or, I don't know, yellow cards or something, and they finish 11th. I'm going to be made to put up with that. It feels like a bit of a unique scenario at Sheffield United where the manager is getting all the praise <laughs> instead of the players right now. Normally, the players yeah. get the praise and the manager's there just as a facilitator. But he, I was reading an article on Chris Wilder earlier today and it was saying how he is 
hard on his players. He's clinical in his analysis. He's able to work on a budget. He's kind of the complete package when it comes to a manager. How long is it going to be before one of the big boys comes knocking and he gets a chance at an Arsenal or a Spurs or a Chelsea? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, just because... He just seems just seems happy, isn't he? Isn't he a Sheffield United fan as well? Yeah. I think mean, growing up, so you got you got to do a lot to to pull someone away from like that. He's took him from League One to the Championship, and in a couple of seasons in the Championship, got him into the Premier League. So the dream is far from over with them. Like it, it'll take two or three years of him finishing solidly in the Premier League before he starts going. Have I took this team as far as I, mm. as I can? Um, so well, that maybe, said, when a big club comes knocking. If, so, if like one of the major players comes knocking, surely he'd have a go. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be tempted, but me, like, if I was like a chairman as well, I'd be thinking about um, his sort of reputation in the game. Like, for example, if you're trying to buy a player from Spain and you're Spurs and you got Chris Wilder as manager, for example, they're not going to have heard of him. Then, like, as in. People yeah, people yeah. should have heard of him, Assuming. but he's not a big name. And then when, like, if somebody, let's say you had someone who was tough to sort of uh, manage, like player-wise, and you brought in Chris Wilder, he might just think, I'm, I don't know who that is, I'm not, I'm not asked about you, I'm not going to play for you kind of thing. Even though the, the things he's done in the game deserve massive respect. He's, he's never failed at a job, he's never been sacked at all. I don't think four promotions or something or five promotions with yeah. four teams. It's crazy. It's consistently performing at the level he needs to perform at. Yeah, and I think you you mentioned that um, he's getting the praise rather than the players. I think that's because all the players have been so good that it, the, the, there's not been one standout player for them. Possibly Dean mm-hmm. Henderson, um, possibly uh, John Lundstrom, but that's because of fantasy Premier League purposes really isn't it because he, he was 4 million or whatever and he's got about 120 points or whatever it is he must be in Wilder's so fantasy team that year. he must be yeah um, but yeah I mean he's, he's doing a great job so long may it continue and I hope he can all we need next season is a, is to sort out Dean Henderson's future try and, try and buy him from Man United if they're stupid enough to let him go and then a striker because if they get a, a 10-15 goal striker in that team they could really go easily 7th for tonight's game, now I'm going to say it's going to look 100% like a Sheffield United win because with the record we have predicting results on this podcast, yeah. it means if I say it's going to be a Sheffield United <laughs> win, it's 100% going to go the other way. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it looks like too big a job for West Ham, which is a ridiculous thing to say at the beginning of the season that Sheffield United at home would be too big a job for West Ham. Sheffield United have no injury problems. West Ham still without Mikel Antonio. The real concern for them is right back. Uh, Frederick's out for four to six weeks. Ben Johnson, the youngster who's been touted as a replacement, also injured at the moment, which leaves Pablo Zabaleta as the only right-back option. You saw him in action at Newcastle earlier in the season (laughs) when Newcastle decimated West Ham 3-0 and Pablo Zabaleta's career appeared to be ended on the pitch that night. I mean, that's going to be a real concern for David Moyes. Yeah, the... the advantage he's got today, though, is that Sheffield United don't have Alan St. Maximan, who's one of the quickest, most agile, hard-to-tackle players in the Premier League and Zabaleta really struggled that day. And we have 3-0 up by half-time and you end up getting a couple of goals back in the second half to make it 3-2. But that was a, a bit of a pace in that day that I didn't see coming. But Zabaleta was, um, did look old that day, really old. Looked like a guy in Masters football coming <laughs> back into the Premier League. But he's not a bad, he's not a bad player. Um, it's just if you can exploit his pace, his lack of pace, that's, that's what it is. But... 
We'll see. He's got plenty of experience, hasn't he? So. Sheffield United win, Fergal? Um, I think so, but I would say one thing in, in defence of West Ham's defence is that Sheffield United have done well this season when teams have fallen into the trap of going on to them and maybe underestimating them a little bit mm. and trying to expose them. And they're so well coached that they're able to get themselves out of situations in midfield and, and break really, really quickly. One thing that West Ham will do under David Moyes is not that. They will be organised, they will be structured, they'll look to have players behind the ball. As I said a few minutes ago, um, Sheffield United do struggle to score goals. They're not the most creative attacking team. Um, and Moyes will know that. Like, you know, we, we all have reservations about David Moyes, but he does know how to set a team up in terms of uh, being defensively sound and having the midfielders in position so that they're pr- protecting a back four. So I do think Sheffield United will will win. Uh, I don't expect this to be an absolute cracker. I think it could be a 1-0 Sheffield United, but Chris Wilder will be more than happy with that given mm. their disastrous run over Christmas. <laughs> a win for Sheffield United takes them above Manchester United. A win for West Ham takes them to 11th in the league above Everton on goal difference. A loss for West Ham could see them in the bottom of three come the end of the weekend. The table is insane at the moment as far as the Premier League is concerned. Right, if you're a West Ham fan, stick around because we've got some transfer rumours next and West Ham are dominating a lot of the transfer news at the moment. We'll box that off shortly on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football Social Daily, Premier League updates. Football Social Daily, subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Let's get stuck into the transfer gossip from the back pages of the papers next on Football Social Daily. As I said, we're going to start with West Ham and there's a load of rumours flying around about West Ham and the rebuilding job that David Moyes is doing in East London at the moment. So first on the agenda... You're going to love this one, Marley. (laughs) Belgian midfielder Maron Fellaini. Currently playing in China. He's being linked with a move to the London Stadium, according to Sky Sports. Absolute rubbish. Nailed on. Why? Why What what doesn't make sense about it? His age. How old? The fact he's Maron Fellaini. (laughs) How old is he? 30? He's 32. 32. He's on an insane amount of money in China. I do not think the Davids would invest a load amount <laughs> a load of money in a player that they see as coming to the end of his career. I think they would because they're both absolutely th- <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's just not it's just not the type of player I mean, when does any club need Marin Flaney? Right. It's not the type of player that West Ham need at the moment. They need mobility in midfield and he right. just doesn't fit that. He's mold. Thir- he's thirty two, which is like oh so he's you know he's he's sort of coming to the end of his career sort of thing. But he's never had he's never relied on pace He's never relied on anything other than physical brutality. He's still six foot five. He's still an absolute handful. He can still elbow anyone from ten yards away. <laughs> he's still going to be a threat. And the further forward you play him, and he proved this at Everton, the more f- the further forward you play him, the better he is. If you play him in defensive midfield, it looks like you've got just a tree in defensive midfield. But if you play him as a number ten or even like a second striker, lump it up to him, sorted. I just can't see it happening. I'll tell you who I think might be on the agenda. Moisey's got him on speed down, mate. <laughs> yeah. I think what might... Th- would it be his third club, wouldn't it? Would yeah, third time he's signed him, yeah. Um, I think more realistic is uh, Bruno Fernandes from Benfica. <laughs> you might have seen... Who? To West Ham? Do I... You, no, not Bruno Fernandes. Gedson Fernandes. Sorry, oh, Gedson Fernandes. Oh, Christ almighty, yeah. yeah. Gedson Fernandes, who posted a picture on his Instagram, or, or his brother posted a picture on his Instagram yesterday saying, congratulations, brother, with a picture of a hammer. 
next to it. Oh, right. Which seemed like a clear sign that deal is done. Maybe it was just congratulations on his favourite street <laughs> weapon. <laughs> congratulations on getting them shelves up. It's not been confirmed. I'm taking my hammer back. It's not been confirmed by the prominent West Ham ITK, who's been on the show a few times, ex-WHU employee yet, which means I don't 100% believe it's true. The other name that's being linked with West Ham at the moment is Genks Sanderberg who is Ooh. six foot five, 21, 20 caps for Norway. Looks like a great potential player. He is a player. Sa- Sander Burge is basically, if you take those list of things that Marley's just said about Fellaini and delete most of them and then just put <laughs> Sander Burge at the... Yeah. yeah, like even at 32, Sander Burge is the player that Maro and Fellaini would like to be. Um, he's excellent swimming against Liverpool in the Champions League this season. N- nails it before that that idea of mobility. Carries the ball really well in midfield. Um well able to look after himself despite the fact he's only only a young lad yeah. I think he'd be a really good signing the issue is again how much he'll cost mm. we're probably talking I'd say around 25 maybe a little bit more West Ham are not short of money we saw that in the summer buying in Fornals and Halle but this will be a difficult one and I, and I mean this with all due respect to West Ham his performances against Liverpool will have got him noticed from a lot of clubs mm. there if are somebody else him, yeah. somebody else comes in for him um, I think West Ham could be nudged further down the queue He's a, he's a good player. Yeah, okay. very good player. Who would you pick out of the three? If as in, not in terms of who would you have as a player, who do you think is more likely out of? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Shut up, Marley. I, I just, I basically you've got I two promising players, and then you've got Fellaini, so you're going to get Fellaini. West Ham can't sign sign Fellaini on the grounds of what it'll do to Jim. Come on, <laughs> I, right. I'm going to pay them, pay the money himself. I'll drive him from bloody China. Right, let's go elsewhere in London. Chelsea and Tottenham both in a tug of war for Atletico go winner Thomas Lamar at the moment they want him on loan you're up on your Spanish football he, has he fallen out of favour at Atletico a little bit Thomas Lamar uh, a bit Simeone did an interview with us uh, last week where straight talking as ever he said that he's failed to live up to expectations he's had a bit of issues with injuries he's only been there for just over 18 months mm. really talented player we saw a lot of good stuff when he was in Monaco but I think a crucial part is He's fallen out of favour because Diego Simeone has a very specific profile of players. Um, and for all the ability he has, he doesn't fit that profile um, in terms of defending from the front, tracking a fullback if they make a run. Uh, that's not to say that he's he's lazy. You're just talking about probably, after Klopp, the most demanding manager in terms of mm. your work off the ball in, in European football. So uh, Chelsea or Tottenham would be getting a really talented player, but... There's, there's doubts over how well he fits into certain systems um, and, and I think if they were to get a loan to buy deal I think he would cost quite a bit He doesn't yeah. seem to fit I mean Tottenham have got loads of that type of player <laughs> anyway haven't they and then you've got Chelsea who seem really interested in Jadon Sancho so he'd potentially be a stopgap yeah. yeah I think if you look at um, who Spurs have got Son players on the left they've got Sessignon as well got Lucas Moura to fit into that one of them three positions as well, either left, right, or centre. Um, Lamar, Lamar cost sixty million for Atletico. That's that was eighteen months ago, and that's a hell of a lot of money. When when Monaco had that fire sale and sold Mendy and Bernardo Silva and all the rest of them, he was the one. He was one of the ones that left. He was one of the higher higher rated ones. So sixty million quid. You know, a loan's going to cost you five or ten million, and then the the rest of it to pay on top of that if you want him is is a bit of a it's it's a hell of a lot to ask for, um, but you've got to assume he would do better because um, when Simeone signed him, Simeone uses sort of he doesn't use normal wingers and he is a sort of old fashioned winger plays on the left, tries to get past his man, doesn't really do much defensively, 
Whereas Lamar, um, the guys Simeone uses are people like Koke on the right, on the left, and he's like practically a centre midfielder. So he'll go back up and down that wing all day, mm. and that's Simeone's system to a T because he can play narrow and be hard to beat. Whereas when when Lamar came, sixty million quid on a guy who didn't fit his style just didn't really make sense, and it's proved that eighteen months later, he's on he's on the way out. He's only like twenty four as well, something like that. Let's so. do one more. London club in terms of transfer rumours your club Fergal Arsenal Mikel Arteta apparently wants a new centre back which is kind of the opus what's the word I'm looking for opus motoranda yeah that opus Opus motoranda it's what Arsenal managers do is what I'm trying to say (laughs) and never actually managed to do it so there's two names on his list one is Bournemouth defender Nathan Aki who apparently Chelsea are into as well Uh, I think he's got a £40 million release clause in his contract he looks decent he'd do a decent job at Arsenal yep. the other player being linked is Barcelona's Titi, who was at the Emirates Stadium earlier in the week watching Arsenal play which you'd think was a good sign uh, yeah in terms of uh, you know the, the the ITKs will be all over that um, for me if, if it was a straight choice between the two of them I would go for Ake uh, a little bit younger uh, Umtiti's got terrible injury record over the last two years um, he's barely kicked the ball for Barcelona in, in their first 11. Clement Longley's taken over from him as Jarrod Piquet's regular partner. I really like Ake. Um, mobile, aggressive, good in the air, and he seems like a bit of a leader. Mm. Uh, he's you know the youngest defender in that Bournemouth back four that have seemed to have been there for 47 years, but he seems to be the leader and the organiser. Um, and I think he could be exactly what Arsenal need. Someone that is well able to organise a back four, but will will demand from players around him, whatever their age, whatever their profile, which is very relevant with Arsenal. Um, and I like him. And I, and I think, to use, I don't know if you've still got the cliche bell there, but uh, in the current climate, uh, 40 million's not too bad, I that's think, for, for a centre-back really of this level. not really that much of a cliche. No? Okay. <laughs> I'm a little denied by the cliche bell. <laughs> I'm, not wow. sure. I'm not sure you set yourself up for a cliche bell. I'm not sure it was worth a cliche bell. <laughs> right, let's move on to some transfers that are more realistic at the moment because you've all got Back one. Back to Fellaini one, one, <laughs> You've got one transfer in your bank for fantasy football and it's time to welcome the guru to the Sports Social Studio. Hello, Kieran. Hello. Right, time for fantasy football advice. Kieran is going to answer your questions on fantasy football ahead of the fantasy football weekend, back after the FA Cup break. We're going to kick off with a question from Sophie today, who says, with Kane out injured and maybe for the season, who should I bring in as a replacement? Do I go like for like with a big gun or do I go cheap and bank the cash spent it elsewhere? Hmm. Uh, Easy step across. I'm assuming if you've got Kane already, then you probably haven't got another premium striker. With Vardy now sitting in that bracket, he makes uh, an easy step aside. Hasn't played last two games, um, but has been declared fit last time I checked. Uh, so underlying stats look weak, but everyone knows his performance across the season to date. Uh, top goal scorer, um, top point scorer, I think, in Premier League. Might just be Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but I think he's the easy to go to. If you're looking at making savings or then reinvesting that money back into the midfield, everyone's jumping on Salah and Sané and Kevin De Bruyne at the moment, then you're probably looking at, I quite like uh, Calvert-Lewin okay. at the moment. Oof. Yeah, so Calvert-Lewin uh, is the only striker in the top five uh, with um, Jesus that rec- occurs in top five for both shots in target and shots in the box. Uh, with Guerrero back, I wouldn't put Jesus in any team unless you're in a draft and you can get him for the same price as everyone else. Two goals and three at the moment now for Calvert-Lewin as well, isn't it, since Ancelotti came in? Yeah, he scored uh, twice against Newcastle, <coughs> which is bad for me, but also good <laughs> because I put him in my draft that week because I knew he'd score against us. Yeah. So. 
And there's this weird um, sort of narrative that's going around. Well, it's not weird, but I don't really understand it in that Everton are rubbish because they lost to City and Liverpool, um, whereas they won their previous two games. Mm. Uh, Leicester got absolutely battered by both of those teams and about a couple of weeks before they were spoken about as title contenders above City in that regard. So I'm still giving Ancelotti a bit of time in Everton Um, and I think Carvert-Lewin's underlying stats, I mean, uh, before last game week he was top for shots on target um, and shots in the box. So I think particularly in that, if he stays and goes back to that 4-4-2 formation that was working so well before he shifted to Liverpool, um, and City, then I think he could be a bit of a gem. OK, we'll move on to Paulie's question then. He says, we've got a winter break coming up in the next few weeks. How do I make sure I maximise potential points when only half my team are playing? Uh, so, um, I don't think there was a winter break, is there? It's kind There's, of it's like yeah, a yeah, yeah. weird, crap, staggered thing, isn't it? <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, it's a winter break, and then it's not really, because it's only like a week mm. it's not a proper way to break because like, they still get yeah. five games so yeah. I assume what will happen in fantasy football is one lot will play so it'll be two games weeks or it might be one well, game I, week. I was looking across the game weeks earlier um, looking for when uh, we're having double game weeks and also drop game weeks and the only one announced at the moment is a single double game week so they haven't announced any drop game weeks in those fixtures um, so I won't be playing for winter break but I would be planning in a couple of weeks time for that double game week okay. uh, in game week 24 um, where both Liverpool and West Ham have double game weeks, and so you're going to look at those two teams. I'd argue you're probably only going to look at one of those teams uh, <laughs> for that double game week. Um, Sorry, Jim. I, yeah, even even aside from fixtures, I mean, uh, looking at fixtures, West Ham are picking up Leicester and Liverpool as a double bill. Um, so I think that that's difficult in any regard. The only uh, like you might get Fabianski in only because he's going to be playing two games, and so yeah. you might get a decent amount of save points. Uh, and you'll get be be jumping essentially uh, just playing points double over anyone else in that regard. But I think most people are going to be using the transfers over the next couple of weeks to double or triple up on Liverpool players. And in that regard, you're only probably looking at a, a top four. So you've got Robertson and Alexander-Arnold in defence and then Mane and Salah um, in midfield. All very, very expensive. Probably mm. the, in, Actually, in all positions, the most expensive options. Wow. So uh, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson are the most expensive defenders. Uh, Salah and, and Mane are the most uh, expensive midfielders. I managed to get a situation where I could get Salah and Mane in, um, but I opted for Salah, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. Uh, instead, because I wanted a bit more freedom with, um, I don't want to lock in value to too much into midfield to give me more freedom to play around it. I don't think I've got any Liverpool players, which is probably why I'm losing fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, right, Tom, final question. I need to think outside the box to catch the other people in my league. Who is going to be the next fantasy football diamond? This is a tough question. Someone that hasn't peaked yet, but will will be a must-have by the end of the season. Gaze into your crystal ball. Christian, your Christian ball? <laughs> Gaze into your crystal ball. Who's going to be the next big hit in fantasy football? Yeah, what's Jesus telling? <laughs> Jesus? Uh, is this? No? Is this? Yes, that's where we're going to. Uh, so, I've got one. Okay. Okay, go on. Sani. What about Leroy Sani coming back? Mm. Uh, could be. I wouldn't get him back for next week. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I wouldn't get him back for the next month, probably. Um... Uh, particularly if he ends up shifting off to Bayern or something like that. <laughs> but um, it, it well, actually, if you're talking about City players, I think uh, well, assuming that you what you want to get people that no one else has got, so you're probably looking at uh, below 10% ownership, I guess, across players. Um, Sony fits quite nicely into that. 
in the same space that Sanis should be playing is Mares, I think. Uh, Mares at 5.2% of ownership so definitely a differential uh, I think he's the most obvious pick probably I think he's becoming more favourable to Sterling only based on um, a- amount spent on player mm. then through to return because he's only 8.4 which is considerably less than 11.8 on Sterling but now that he's getting a decent run in the teams he's he's having comparable stats in terms of shots on target um, shots in the box and big chances as well um, so I'd say if I was having a second midfielder, I'd probably put Maris in at this point, probably over Sterling. So I think he's a good differential. Looking across the board, uh, Calvert-Lewin's on 6.3, so discussed him earlier. Calvert-Lewin fanboy over there. Yeah, <laughs> Everton's run as well. Fantastic. Next five game weeks, Brighton, West Ham, Newcastle, Watford and Crystal Palace. Can everyone stop going in on West Ham, please? <laughs> a bit of a Newcastle theme. You're one of a group, yes. Uh, <laughs> And that that probably gives them the most favourable fixture list over the next five. So I'd be looking. But at those West Ham will have Fellaini by that point. So <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, abandon hope all year into those fixtures. Uh, then looking across the board. Uh, oh, actually, uh, Saar at Watford. I really like uh, complete differential. One percent. One percent of ownership across all teams. Uh, but fifteen shots in the box in the last six game weeks puts him second among all midfielders. Um, puts him over the majority of strikers as well, actually, with four wow. big chances. Also puts him second. 1% of ownership, and he's cheap. 5.4, I think, last time I checked. Kieran, thank you very much. The guru, well done. Good advice, as always. That is it for Football Social Daily. Before we go, we have to answer the question set at the top of the show. You say you know this, Marley, so yeah. I'm going to leave you out of this and just turn to Fergal instead. Mm-hmm. So it was a question set by a podcast listener going by the name of Rubens Was Here, and the question was, who are the two players who have scored Premier League La Liga and Syria hat tricks. So you can go for the obvious name first. Fergal is be Mr. Ronaldo. Is Cristiano Ronaldo the less obvious player? Is uh, Avar Morata? Not Morata. Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez is the correct answer. Scoring for uh, wow. Arsenal in the Premier League, Barca in the Spanish League, and Udinese in. Italian League. There you go. There you go. There you Top go. trivia. Make sure you leave us a review and you might get a shout out on the podcast just like that. And we'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates.